Um, it'll be on the screen behind me, but um, you're also welcome to um, read along in your Bibles. I'll just give you a moment to turn to that. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down on down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evil evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Good evening. I'm Jono, Jonathan, Johan. <laughs> Uh, you know, the more I do this, I, one, one time I would hope that my heart wouldn't be a flutter. Yeah, I thought it was meant to get easier. Anyway, I do actually love, love to preach and um, to share with you this evening from Psalm 14. Those were some great songs. 2004. <laughs> I, I became a Christian in 2006, so I, I traveled back in time. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe the fellow back then and the man who's before you now. God's done some wonderful things. Um, yeah. All right, I'll, I'm going to start with a story about a man named Fool. He was, his name was Fool, and he was a fool. Uh, he was a businessman, and he was good at it. He made profits from bre breeding livestock, selling and buying of wool and cattle. He was very wealthy. He had a beautiful wife. She was sweet, and yet he was brash and badly behaved. Fool's workers would take livestock far and wide to find grass and water. And for a long period of time, they found themselves in the company of a warrior and his army. The warrior was a God-fearing man, and so rather than mistreat the shepherd and take advantage of the flocks, he actually cared for them and protected them and made sure that Fool had no loss of property. The time came for Fool to sell his produce, and he had much to sell, and so there was to be a big party with an abundance of food and drink, more than the company could eat or drink. When the warrior heard that there was a party to be had, he sent a messenger, asking if he might spare a morsel of food and a cup of drink, as they'd provided uh, good, good protection for his workers. When the messengers arrived and made their request, the foolish man answered them roughly, rudely, told them to scat, get out of here. He sent them away, ashamed. When they returned to the warrior, he was offended. So he told his army, strap on your swords, let's go. And he headed to the fool's house with hostility in mind. The wife heard of how her husband had mistreated the messengers, 
Quickly, she gathered some food and drink and with haste set out to intercept the marching army. With humility, with grace and with wisdom, she averted the spilling of blood and the sure death of her husband. Now, Fool had made himself merry with wine and knew nothing of the danger at his doorstep. His wife, being gracious, waited till the next morning. And when she told him, his heart failed him and he turned to stone and died. This is indeed the story of Nabal, a Calebite from the nation of Israel. A Calebite just means that he was from a good family, a godly family. You can read the full version in the book of 1 Samuel. And the name Nabal is the Hebrew word for fool. He's a picture of what the word means, an immoral man. Immoral in that he does not have any mind for God and no concern for others. Now I tell this story because too often when we think of foolish men, we think about the worst of society. And I think we do ourselves a mischief to do so. Morality is not being better than one. It's not being better than some. It's not even being better than most. We're not merely moral because there are others who are less moral. I have another story to illustrate. There was at one time a group of men who thought the earth was wicked and men ought to obey God. They set about learning God's commands diligently. They devoted themselves to study, memorizing words and teachings and promises. They clothed themselves so as not to forget God's commands. They instructed others to do likewise. They were careful with the company that they kept. They fasted, they prayed more than any other, and there was never a holy occasion that they were absent from. They sought to show themselves as men wholly devoted to God. God watched and saw all these men were doing. And this is the word that he spoke to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy, faithfulness, These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. How can men who look so good be judged so poorly? Well, David writes in our psalm, because they are corrupt. And corruption is a very helpful description of wickedness, because corruption is usually hidden. A corrupt politician looks the part, but makes self-interested deals behind closed doors. A corrupt judge claims that he is just, and yet accepts a bribe. Corruption looks the part, but is actually in a state of decay, like a house with termites, steel with rust, a body with cancer. We cannot see, but God sees. 
We so often judge by appearance, and yet God does not judge on appearance. And he says, I look on the earth and see that it is corrupt. And we can also read that God both sees and measures the heart, as we read in Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. In verse 2 of our psalm, we see this very thing. God in heaven, looking down upon the earth. And there's things here worth pondering. He looks down on earth and watches people. There are powerful rivers, towering mountains, glaciers, winds, waves, creatures of the deep, stars of the heavens, the sun and the moon, the ripening of fruit trees, the flowers of the forest, the soaring of eagles, the roar of the lion, the swimming of whales, wonderful things. But something else has the Lord's attention. What is he looking for? Are you intrigued? God knows when the mountain goats are in labor. He gives the horse strength and courage. He commands the hawk to soar and spread his wings. The raven calls to him and he gives him food. If the Lord was hungry, would he tell anyone? For he writes, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. If the Lord was thirsty, could all the rivers of the world quench his thirst? What is it the Lord is concerned with? The hearts of mankind, we read. Now sometimes what is said is important, and sometimes what is not said is equally as important. For we do not read, and the Lord looked down on the earth from heaven on the children of man to see who is the greatest, who is the most courageous, to see who's the wealthiest, most innovative, most attractive, strongest, smartest, even the most helpful, most thoughtful, most frugal, most skillful, most beautiful, most powerful, most influential, most knowledgeable. No, none of these things. In all the earth, the Lord looks down to see if there are any who understand, any who are wise. Are there any who seek the Lord? Are there any who seek after God. Now of God we can read, he sought out David. Of Adam, he formed the man of dust. Of Enoch, God took him. Of Noah, found blameless. To Abram, God spoke. To Moses, God called. Of Israel, God chose, God rescued, God carried. But of man. The Lord looks to see are there any who are wise, any who understand? Will the ones he has made in his image look to him? Will the ones he has provided for want to know from whose hand they have been fed? Will people with the breath that he has given them call on their God? For isn't it true if men were really wise, they would seek the Lord? with all of their hearts, all of their minds, all of their bodies, all of their souls. For there is nothing better for a man than the Lord. He's the quenching of our thirst. 
the satisfying of one's hunger. He streams of living water, the bread from heaven. Riches for the poor, master of the banquet, a strong tower of refuge, father to the fatherless, forgiver of sins, redeemer of souls, transformer of lives. Indeed, he's eternal life. He's the resurrection from the dead. He's peace. He's joy. He's love. He's kindness. The Lord looks down on heaven, on the children of man, to see, are there any who understand, any who seek after God? But we read, they have all turned aside together. There are two ways to draw attention to sin, though in truth it is the Holy Spirit that helps us to see it best of all. But nonetheless, two things will stop me in my tracks with the realization that I am a wretch, that I am poor, that I am blind, and that I am naked. Firstly, it is the wrong things that I do, wicked thoughts and wicked deeds, desires that don't form in another heart, but in this one, in my own. Selfishness, covetousness, greed, hypocrisy, envy, laziness, lust, arrogance, self-righteousness, vanity, rage. Sometimes we are enticed to sin, but all too often it grows up on its own. I often find that curses roll off the tongue, and yet blessings require effort. Leaving the path feels like a walk downhill, but remaining true is an uphill battle. Good habits are hard to build and bad habits seem to form without trying. Virtues escape my heart and vices refuse to leave. Secondly, and this perhaps makes me the sadder of the two, it's the good things that I do not attend to, the good things that we leave undone. Like a child in terror who cries out for their mother or father and receives no reply like going to bed with the best intentions for tomorrow and, that not, and then not doing any of it. The meals that have spoiled rather than be shared, the kind deeds left undone long enough to be forgotten, the joy that was buried rather than shared, the light that was hidden so that it wouldn't be wasted. Sometimes wicked deeds bring enough suffering so as to be avoided. But to leave good things undone is often too easy and justifiable, never suffering enough to consider how ungodly it is, how wicked it is when we close our hearts and blind our eyes not to evil, but to opportunities for generosity and kindness. The things we keep to perish that would have been a blessing to others. Do I just speak of myself, or are there others here whose hearts grieve that these things are true of them too? Do we read a lie here in Scripture? Or is it true that all have turned aside? Together they have become corrupt. Whether openly or secretly, there is none who does good, not even one. I know that it is true of me, and nobody can convince me otherwise. The things I have done, and my daily struggles now, the harder I try to be good, the more I realize the difficulty of the task. I'm not a good man. I never have been. But perhaps you think better of yourself than I. And to be honest, you might well be right. 
But sadly, what I say is still true of you. For godliness can be marred by even the smallest misdemeanor, and ungodliness embraced through the smallest of acts. I'll tell you another story to illustrate. There was once a man who set his heart to do good, and yet he was not at peace. He longed for eternal life, and so when he heard of a teacher who might be able to help him, he went to him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The teacher said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This can be put in another way, and it is put in another way by um, James, Jesus' brother. He says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Ah, but to lack one thing, and that's all it takes to turn from good to evil, is one thing. If something, if something is pure and you add a blemish to it, it's no longer pure. If something is perfect and a mistake is made, it's no longer perfect. If rot is found in an apple, does it become fresh again? If milk is turned into cheese, can it become milk again? So man has turned from God. How can we be returned? The fire extinguished, the light turned out, weeds have grown, the water dried up. And this is the life that many of our brightest minds contend for us to submit to, that we are but creatures with nothing more to hope for than to survive and reproduce. They do not inquire of God, for the future belongs to the strong, to the mighty and the brightest. The terrible tale Earth's gruesome narrative, where the strong devour the weak until they grow weak and are devoured by someone stronger. Men enslave one another, the rich oppress the poor, people fight to get to the top, and when they get there, they realize they can't trust anyone to not try and topple them. Even the much-loved King David fled because his own son sought to usurp his throne. Corruption ungodliness, wickedness. Even the best of humanity show signs of it. Noah was spared the flood and was soon found drunk, drunk and naked after too much wine. Moses murdered a man and buried him secretly in the sand. So I could go on. Hopelessness, despair, sadness. And I hope to have thus far pa faithfully painted a bleak picture a saddening scene, as we read here in Psalm 14. I have sinned, and yet not just I, but we together have turned away. And so we read in the book of Revelation, in chapter 5. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? 
And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. But what about you? Would you raise your hand? Would you be the one to step forward? Take the scroll? Would heaven's gates open for you? Nobody was found worthy to open the scroll. Nobody. And so, John weeps. Do you weep? Do you weep at the thought of your sinfulness? Do you weep at the wickedness you see around you, within you, in the church, outside the church, all over and everywhere? A wise man once said that it's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting, and that sorrow is better than laughter. And an even wiser man said still, Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So let us now turn from sorrow to joy. For after rain and dark clouds, isn't it a joy to see the sun? Isn't that when the rainbow appears and the sky fills with color? Are we not most glad of rescue when all hope of rescue felt lost? And so when all seemed lost, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, someone of whom it can be said, everything he does is wonderful. With the broken, he's tender. With the arrogant, he's fierce. His words are gracious, but he teaches with authority. Even the wind and the waves obey him. A bruised reed he will not break, and yet God's zeal, zeal for God's house consumes him. A doctor to the sick, a stone to build your house upon, one who would turn down the devil on an empty stomach and not turn from kindness even in the face of spitting, mocking, torture and death, one who suffers in agony on a tree and yet has the kindness to look down to his disciple and say, take care of my mother. And whilst men throw dice for his clothes and blood trickles down his naked body, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Revelation chapter 5 again. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, 
and they shall reign on the earth. There's only one who fits that description, isn't there? And to him do I bow the knee and surrender daily. For he's not of this world, but of heaven. For God looked down from heaven and saw the corruption that filled the hearts of men and made a remarkable choice. He didn't turn his back and walk away. No. In Isaiah, we can read, I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. Emmanuel means God with us. God came to earth, indeed as he had always intended. He saw the filth, the violence, the betrayal, and the corruption. And he did not lock the door and go inside and hide himself. Hide away. No, he saw a people in terror, the oppression of the poor, the chaos of sinners, and he chose to come and be a place of refuge for them. Born of woman and the Holy Spirit, divine and yet man, born in poverty amidst murderous kings and brutal men, with nowhere to rest his head, the impossible became possible, and the psalmist's prayer answered. As David wrote, that salvation would come out of Zion. Salvation coming out of Zion that the Lord would restore the fortunes of his people. The Lord restoring the fortunes of his people. And so David rightly writes and instructs us to sing, rejoice, and be glad. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, All that we have, all that you have done, is because of who you are, without blemish, worthy of all praise. Thank you, Lord, for not turning your back, but doing the opposite, being willing to come and take on flesh, and that in your flesh that you might become a new Adam, a new one to belong to, a new humanity through which we can know you and belong to you. Though the gates wouldn't open for me or for any of us, Lord, they open for you. For you are willing to lay down your life. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us to be with you, to join you, to even be Um, with the Father as you are with the Father. Help us now to rejoice and to be glad and to sing. Amen.